Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And this morning, we simply pray through the power of your spirit that you do whatever you desire to do for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. How's that for a short prayer? Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be a short sermon. Just warning you. For those who've been away on holidays the last few weeks, we have had an opportunity to, uh, in terms of the preaching focus, to really set the scene a little bit for hopefully some of the things that the Lord has on His heart for us as His people. So if you haven't been around, I would encourage you to grab the podcast so that we can be on the same page, heading in the same direction and really seeking the Lord for the same things. This morning I'd like to take a little bit of a different tangent and I've had on my heart for a little while to do a series through the book of First Peter. I'm not going to put a time limit on it, that doesn't mean it's going to be a never-ending series, but I just feel like the Lord has a few things in this particular book for us. I'm hoping that we will be encouraged and inspired. I can see already you're excited, the excitement's building. So we're going to launch into it, but before we begin this book, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's always important to ask ourselves both the questions of who is the author, we gain some insights there, but also what was their purpose in writing the particular letter or the particular passage of Scripture that the Lord inspired them to write. And there's no need for us to wonder or to guess in First Peter because he makes it very clear. What was Peter's intention in writing his particular epistle? And if you turn to chapter 5, verse 12, he says this, I have written briefly to you, and we'll look in a moment at who this you is, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. You might like to underline either physically in your Bible or for those on your iPads, too bad, you miss out. The true grace of God. And he goes on, stand firm in it. Some translations say, be established in it, that you may be established, steadfast in this true grace. So there, Peter outlines his particular desire, his heart, behind writing this epistle to encourage his readers and certainly to encourage us as we study this particular letter in regards to this one area, the true grace. And we might marvel, I think, sometimes as we read Paul's writings at his eloquence, at his articulate expression of theology. But I love Peter just for his simplicity. He says it as it is. He doesn't beat around the bush. And he says, this is what I want you to know. I want you to understand, to be established in true grace. And hopefully we'll discover over the coming weeks what this true grace is. But certainly even from that statement, we could deduce that there must be, by product of there being true grace, there must be false grace. There must be imitations that somehow do not measure up to the reality. Maybe a little bit like this. I'm not sure how you spent your... Saturday yesterday that I spent a large part of portion of my day playing plastic teacup parties. Anyone know that game? I have four girls for those who are wondering who is this strange man. 
And all of my girls have had this love for plastic teacup parties. We've got a new teacup set for Christmas, so the new teacup set came out. And this time we actually lifted, we upped the ante, we lifted it to a new level where we even included real water in the teapot for the teacup party. It's a wonderful game. Now, I love playing teacups with my girls. There's nothing wrong with playing teacups. But if I'm coming home after a, a long day of hard work, maybe out on the farm, the property, I'm not looking for a teacup party meal. I'm not looking for the plastic cakes. I'm not looking for the rock sandwiches. You know, they have a place. I'm looking for the real deal. And I think that's a little bit like what Peter's saying. He's saying there is true grace. The problem is that so many of you are sipping from plastic teacups. You're enjoying the rock sandwiches and the, the plastic pretend cakes. And there's a place for it. But I want to reveal this true grace that deeply refreshes, that radically transforms the life of a believer, so that you may be established in it. And I would suggest this. I mean, we could say much about Peter. I don't intend to give you a detailed study of his life, but let me make mention of this. If anyone was to write on this topic of true grace, who better could you find to write on that topic than the Apostle Peter? See, he was a man, he knew what it was like to fail. He knew what it was like to struggle. He even knew what it was like to deny the Lord Jesus himself. And yet, as he fell, he knew what it was like to be lifted out of the waves. He knew what it was to gaze into the eyes of the resurrected Christ. He knew what it was to be restored and to be loved even when he deserved it the least. He knew what it was to be used mightily for the glory of God. So who better? He has a PhD, surely, in this area and topic of true grace. So I want us to discover what is this true grace. And he begins this letter, if you now turn back to chapter 1, in a wonderful place and yet a challenging place. And I'd say this just to perhaps whet your appetite, hopefully not turn you off. We've been talking a lot about this year you know, really seeking the Lord to do a new thing in our midst. It's always a good thing to pray into, to seek. But so often, if the Lord is going to do a new thing amongst us, He'll begin by doing a new thing in us. The journey often begins here. And in some ways, I believe that's where Peter intentionally begins his letter. Let's read together. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect, says the ESV, a lot of other translations say chosen. That's literally what the word means. Those who are chosen. The exiles of the dispersion in a whole lot of places that I'm sure you're very familiar with, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, anyone been there? It's up on the hit list, perhaps not. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Again, some translations say, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. No half-hearted grace, in the, the fullness of all that the Lord has 
for you. May his grace and peace be a reality in their fullest expression. So let's look at some of these key words and find out where is it that Peter is beginning this letter on true grace. The first key word, chosen. You can underline that. The elect, the chosen, without delving too deep. This literally means that Peter is saying there's something that has originated here, not in the will of man, but the will of God. It's him who has done the choosing, not us. You may not have ever been a choice of the world, but you are the choice of God. Now, there is a rich reality to ponder there. He goes on, the chosen ones according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's saying there's no afterthought, there's no coincidence, there is no accident that you were thought out before even the foundation of the world, says elsewhere in Scripture. Chosen, purposed in your Father's heart before He created anything for the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, that particular phrase there may sound strange to our ears in the year 2017, but it's a phrase that would have resonated with his primarily Jewish readership and Christians, Gentiles who'd come to the faith. This was a particular phrase, the sprinkling of his blood that we see throughout the Old Testament. The sprinkling of his blood, it was used in Leviticus 14. You can jot these down if you would like to look up them, look them up later. For the purpose of cleansing, In Exodus 29, for the purpose of setting apart priests for the service of God, so for sanctification. But probably most importantly, in Exodus 24, this picture of the sprinkling of the blood occurred as the Lord himself appeared to his people. He'd gathered them, he'd rescued them from the Egyptian empire. He brought them to his holy mountain and God himself had appeared to his people and made a covenant with them. And as Moses went around and he read and proclaimed the covenant of God, as God himself said, you will be my people. As a sign of the covenant he made, it says the priests sprinkled blood upon the people. So what he's really saying here is remember that you are a covenant people. This is all language that only up until now would only have been used for the Jewish people. But he's saying, remember now, you're Gentiles, but it's the same picture that God has made a covenant with you. He has made you His own. He has called you. He has chosen you. He has purposed you in His heart before the foundation of the world. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the covenant that God made with His people brought before the people as a constant reminder. Remember that God has made a covenant with you. Remember that you were chosen. Remember that you are a people of His possession that you are, in fact, his inheritance. And it's the very same point that Peter is making as he opens this letter. Talking about true grace, he simply, he could summarize it as this. He's saying, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Remember your identity. And as we go through, we'll see this is a continual theme. In chapter 1, verse 18, as I mentioned earlier, he says, remember that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, remember that you are chosen and precious in His sight. You have value. You have worth. 
chapter 2, verse 9, he says, you're a chosen race. And he continues this theme throughout this letter. He continually reminds them of what? Of their identity. Remember your identity. Remember who you are. We had this moment with um, our eldest child, actually, who hopefully is out for Sunday school, is she? I'll ask her permission afterwards to share this story. But we've been blessed with our, our eldest two children have always been very good at school, very high achievers. They've loved school. They've loved performing and, and being the best that they can be. And so we've made a bit of a thing to try and celebrate as the semester and the year finishes and they bring home the reports. Who remembers that? that moment where you bring home your report with some sense of fear and trepidation to your parents. Well, you don't get to experience that anymore. They email it. It's a bit of a... Anyway, moving on. So they email around the reports, and I remember opening up the first semester of last year's report, and our eldest child, she's always done incredibly well at school, and I get confused with these reports. They've changed all the classifications. There's all, all different criteria and categories. But essentially, it was a little bit like this. We were going through, and she got excellent comments, excellent feedback, the equivalent of A's in all subjects, until we came down to German. Anyone study German? Those Germans. I love the Germans. Is there any Germans here? And all of a sudden, there it was. It was the equivalent of a whole report of A's with these glowing reports from teachers, and there was that one B. And she looked in horror. She said, Daddy, what is this? I said, well, it's a B, sweetheart. She's like, yeah, but what's it doing on my report? And I said, this is a wonderful report. This is a fantastic report. Can you see how good this report is? But she was devastated. All she could see was this B on her report. Well, you, you do what you do as parents to sort of encourage your kids and say, well, it's not the grades, you know, it's how hard you try and... You know, the game's the winner and all those other strategies you try. But obviously she had been stewing on this for some time because it came time, the end of the year, for her end of year report. We sat down, I'd printed it out to look at this report and she skipped straight over the comments. She skipped straight over every other grade that she'd got and she went straight to German. And thankfully this time round, there was the A for German. She breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, there is a God. Thank you, Lord. I'm okay. I'm all right. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many are some of us, those sort of people, that it doesn't matter how many A's you get in life, it's the one B. It doesn't matter how much positive feedback you receive in your workplace, it's that one area of improvement that we focus on, that we dwell upon. We wake up in the morning and there it is on our foreheads, B, you're a B. Why is it? Why is it? I would suggest that so often we live in this world where our identity is in, and I'm going to phrase it this way, I'm going to call it an Instagram illusion, just to use modern vernacular and terminology. We have this picture of what it means to be successful, and you can get every single A in the book, but if there's one B, well, that's just not good enough. We live in this state of perpetually trying to live up to some 
picture, some place, some status, some area of life, and that tragically becomes our identity. So I believe Peter here, he's encouraging us so strongly. He's saying, you want to know what true grace is all about? It begins with your identity. Where do you get your identity from? That's how he starts it. That's why he continually reminds the people of it, because we forget. We think, yes, my identity's in him, and then all of a sudden there comes the beat. Well, maybe a little bit of my identity is in my report, is in my status. Maybe my identity is in my pain that I hide behind. The problem with that is if our identity is anywhere other than in him, then our identity is in an illusion. I came across this wonderful site. How many of you have heard, because I won't explain it if you all know what I'm talking about, of a website called PinterestFail.com? Anyone heard? Not, not many people? A few, few? Probably half a dozen that are willing to put up their hands. Well, I'll explain what it is. This is a website, and the, the, you know, the tag catchphrase is, the, the place where good intentions come to die. I love that, that phrase. But so often we post, don't we, on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and whatever social media platform you like, the perfect images, our perfect lives, our perfect creations. Well, this is a whole website that's built around people posting their Instagram fails as they've strived, as they've tried their best and ended in a dismal failure. I think we've got some pictures if we can get them up. You may need to turn off... uh, Pro-presenter, we'll give the, uh, the technically challenged a moment. This could be a Pinterest fail. Who's got a camera? Oh, there we go. So if we uh, go full screen, and a full screen, there we go. So here we are, picture number one. I'll tell you briefly what they are. So that was the picture. Someone posted, the comment was, I decided for Christmas that this was what I was going to do. I was going to create the perfect Christmas cake to entertain, to surprise all my family, to show off my culinary expertise, and this is the result. And this is the result. It's not working. Oh, there it is. There it is. Needless to say, not many friends were very impressed. Next one. Ah, this is the New Year's resolution. You see, this is a great trip where you put all of your leftover vegetables in a jar and after only one, one week of growth, you're fully self-sustainable as you grow your own food. <laughs> Easy as that, and there's the result. I'm not sure what that was supposed to be, but I don't think it's anything that you'd want to eat. Oh, of course, everybody wants these beautiful pictures of their baby in a pumpkin. And look, this was even from a website of how... Oh, hey, I was just setting the scene. Oh, it's all right. You've taken the punchline anyway. There we go. That looks a bit more like my family photos. I think there's one more. There it is. This is beautiful string art, apparently. You blow up the balloon, you wrap the string around, you glue it all together, makes these incredible works of art, decorate your house and your garden. That was uh, one person's Instagram dream, and I think the end result, that was... Looks a little bit like some of my uh, art and craft activities. Anyway, you can have a look in your own time, PinterestFail.com, where all our good intentions come to die. 
You see, there's nothing wrong with sharing pictures on social media, but the problem is that so often these Instagram illusions become our identity. You see, we see all these beautiful people doing beautiful things, and we think, that's it. That, that's, that's, that's my identity. That's what I need. We see all the advertising, these products. Well, you know, that, that, that will give me a sense of identity. And while the adverts may not have sold many, may or may not have sold any more products, products certainly the shares for Prozac and antidepressants have gone through the roof because we're constantly falling short. We're so desperate to find identity, we fill the vacuum with anything that we can find. I read this article this week. This is a, a statistic of our current society. And this was a... Oh, hello. This was a particular, particular article that noted that we are now the most addicted, most in-debt, most obese, and most medicated generation in history. In fact, a recent OECD study of all developed countries they surveyed, in every criteria we had increased or decreased, whichever way you look, look, by, look at it, by up to 400%. Things are not getting better. They're getting worse literally by the year. How is it that we have lost sight of our identity? We seem to be so confused of who we are. We don't even know if we're male and female anymore. That old expression of are we Arthur or Martha or does it matter? Can we just be both? whoever we want to be. We've lost sight. There is this identity vacuum in the society and my heart breaks for a people who are lost and they're crying out for anything they can get their hands on to try and find some sense of identity. We're living in our Instagram illusions to try and find identity and as we fall short, we medicate, we blame, we find anything that we can do that will give us some sense of significance and worth. See, the problem is that we never will. We never will find our identity. We never will find our true sense of worth until we come back here, until we look to the cross. Until we encounter the one who has chosen, the one who purposed you in his heart before the foundation of the world, before the one in whose eyes you are priceless, you are of great worth, and he gave everything he had to ransom you. See, Christianity is not a bunch of rules and religion. This is the place, this is the moment that you discover the reason you're put on the planet. Your purpose, your identity, it releases us into true freedom. Mark Twain, I love his quote, always love this quote. He said, there's two moments that are important in a man's life. First is the moment when he's born. The second is the moment he discovers why. And I want to encourage us as we look at this letter that Peter writes that there is a place that we can find our identity. But it is a moment in which we need to allow our Instagram illusions to come and die. Wouldn't that be a great catchphrase for church? Church, the place where all our good intentions come to die. That we might discover our true identity in Him. And I just thought I might share an example from my own life. We can get real for a moment. And yes, occasionally I have issues and struggles. 
I know that's hard to believe. But I'm so thankful to have been in a church for many years that has had a real emphasis on the fact that we, we live in a broken world and we're broken people and the Lord is a gracious, loving God that wants to see us healed up so that we might bring His healing and His grace and His mercy to others. And so I've experienced many times throughout my life and my, my journey, my relationship with Him, I've experienced His grace and His forgiveness, His love. You know, I just have some of the best relationships with people that I've ever had. I'm so grateful that my parents are here. I just love, have, have the best relationship with my parents that I've ever had. Like the Lord has just done huge restoration in different areas of my life. And I know so many other families have. How many of you have three generations of people worshipping here with us in the church? A number. Isn't that amazing? I love that we are a family church, that the Lord works and restores family generations as we gather and allow Him to do what He needs to do. Anyway, all that to say is that I've discovered that so much of this is an iterative process. The Lord has dealt with so much, and yet there's moments where He will point something out. And often for me, it's in a time of difficulty. It's a time of struggle. It's when the wheels fall off, the bus starts to descend into the mire of self-pity, and all of a sudden I've got to examine what went wrong. And I had one of those moments. In fact, it was a moment in ministry. I'd been in ministry for some years, and I'd always prided myself on being someone who could succeed. I'd always been able to do well. I'd always been able to demand and earn the respect and the approval of others. And I took pride in that. There's nothing I can't do. Someone says it's impossible. I see that as a challenge. I will prove the impossibilities wrong. I am self-sufficient. I'm a self-made man. And so as I began my ministry journey, and I've shared at previous times how that began, but I had, I had this Instagram illusion of exactly what ministry was going to be like. This is what it will be like being in ministry. This is the incredible ways the Lord will use a man like me, someone so strong and self-sufficient, self-assured of his own ability. It's going to be wonderful. He should be pleased to have me on his team. <laughs> and that Instagram illusion, it lasted some time. It was, it was a very, I'm stubborn perhaps, I don't know what it is, but it lasted for some time until there was a moment where the wheels did fall off, where the bus was now sinking in the quicksand and I didn't know what to do. I felt like, it might not have looked at from the outside, but I felt like a dismal failure. I did. Anyone felt like that before? I felt like, Lord, I just have messed this up. I don't know what I've done. I've never not succeeded. I've always thought that I could do it and here I am and I feel like a failure. So, as so often we do, I tried to find someone to blame. Ever tried that one before? You ever wonder why there's so much blame in the world? Like, what is it in politics? And we're just always looking for someone to blame. I think it's because it's much easier to find someone else than to actually look at your own issues. What would the world be like if we all just stopped and paused for a moment, stopped looking out there, and actually took a moment to look at our own stuff? We might be a better place. Anyway, so I tried to blame God. Well, God, this is your fault. 
you're the one who called me here? That never gets you far, does it? So I said, no, well, this is other people's fault. And I had been let down by some, well, I felt like I'd been let down by some people. And I said, you see, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. Lord, deal with them, smite them, do whatever, do what you've got to do. It's everybody's fault. They're not listening to me. That's the problem. That is the core issue. Of course, the issue wasn't out there at all. And it took me some time to realize that I had some issues internally that I needed to deal with. Things were not getting better, so I knocked on our senior pastor at the time, Peter's door, and I said, Peter, I'm a mess, you've got to fix me. He said, how long have you got? Where are we going to start? He didn't. He was very gracious. We sat down, and I just poured out my heart to him, and he said, well, let's just pray. Let's just ask the Lord if the Lord has anything to say to you in this place. And you see, I didn't even realize at that point how much of my life I had been striving to earn, thinking I could earn his approval and his acceptance. And in that moment of just really feeling like a complete failure, waiting on the Lord, the Lord so clearly spoke this to me. He said, Andrew, you have never let me down. Just like that, just like that. It was gone as quickly as it came, that simple word, that truth. Andrew, you have never let me down. And see, I knew as soon as I heard that, that he was also saying that I could not let him down, even if I tried, because his acceptance and his approval of me was never and will never be based on anything that I could do. It was simply based on the fact that I was his, that I was his son. Well, in that place, it's probably fair to say it wasn't pretty. I think there was a bit of sobbing, wailing, possibly a bit of snot, maybe. I can't confirm or deny. You know, I don't mind getting real with God as long as there's nobody else there to see it. But it was a moment of letting this Instagram illusion of identity die. And instead, finding acceptance and approval in the midst of my brokenness and weakness. It's not an easy place to be. And yet, that is often the only place that finally we can come to terms with our true identity in Him. And I want to tell you, it was incredibly freeing. I still remember those words. And I will always remember those words. I'd like to say that it instantly fixed up all my issues. I stand before you as a picture of perfection. That's not the truth. The truth is there's many other things the Lord is and will deal with me on. But in that area of self-sufficiency, of striving, of trying to earn approval, there is a freedom. There is a freedom. There is a recognition of my identity is not in that. And why would I want it to be in that? It is hard work trying to live up to perfection. Even when you get every A and there's the one B, constantly feeling like a failure and coming back to that place where my identity is purely in Him. See, I think church should be, in some ways, the place where all our good intentions come to die, that we might discover our true identity in Him. 
every other place we could ever conceive to find identity. Often it's in horrible places. Often it's in places of our pain and our anger and my bitterness. Achievement, status, wrongs that have been done to me. We think, what will be left if you strip this all away? That's exactly the point. He wants to bring us to so that we can find where our identity truly lies. True grace begins with identity. You want to know this grace that Peter's talking about that totally refreshes, that radically transforms? Let him touch those areas of identity in your life. Allow him to break through those illusions. They never served you well anyway. And allow him to bring you back to that place where each of us finds our identity in him. I want us to pray. I don't know if there's some worship people someone can play. You know, I never want to preach a sermon, and I hope that each of us never wants to hear a sermon without asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything that you're saying to me? I come to church to worship God, but I come with a desperate desire that He would not leave me as I came in, but that He would do whatever He needs to do to make me more like Him for the glory of His name, that He'd transform me as He promises from glory to glory, that He would deal what He needs to deal with, that He'd heal what needs to be healed up, so that I truly might be someone who displays the glorious grace and goodness and majesty of the Lord Jesus. So I just want you to close your eyes. And I just want you in your, as, as the music team starts to play, I want you just to ask the Lord in your own way before we bring this time to a close. Lord, is there any area of my life where I know that my identity is placed in an illusion and not in you. And you see his incredible promise. He says, here's your identity. You're chosen. Here's your identity. You are purposed in the heart of your eternal Father before the foundation of the world that you've been created with a glorious purpose to know Him, to love Him to live in His covenant that's your identity why would you want to live with your identity anywhere else? So, Lord, as we conclude our time, I just pray that your spirit would move amongst your people. Thank you for this encouragement of Peter that there is a true grace that radically refreshes, that transforms, and this grace begins with identity. Thank you, Lord, that you came not just to cleanse us from our sin, as gloriously wonderful as that is, but you came to give us an identity, to reveal our true identity 
as your people, as your sons and daughters, as the ones whom you love, as people of value, as people of worth. And I just ask, Lord, that as you reveal any areas of our lives, Lord, that there would be a breaking down of those illusions of identity. Whatever that is, that place we've got to get to, that status, our self-sufficiency, even that pain, that anger, that unforgiveness, that bitterness we're hanging on to, we've held on to so long, it's become our identity. And Lord, I thank you that we can come to you. It's not easy at times, but we can allow you to strip away those false idols of identity. We can allow you to speak your truth that we would rise up to be sons and daughters that you've called us to be. A people with our identity solely in you. Let's pray that in Jesus' name. Jesus' name.